Welcome to the Life 21 Church Podcast. Thanks for joining with us today as we explore the Gospel of Matthew. We pray that as you listen, you would come to more fully understand the answer to this age-old question, who is this Jesus? Hello, welcome to a whole nother section in this podcast journey. This is Matthew 16 through 23, a new section entitled Jesus the Messiah. In these next several weeks, we're going to see Jesus revealing the fullest expression of who he is as the Messiah. He has been acting as a Messiah figure, but all of a sudden, a lot of his ministry is going to become more explicitly clear as he reveals who the Messiah is, what the Messiah is called to do as he prepares to suffer and to die for sin. This episode, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 16, will certainly be a favorite for you bakers out here. We are going to be talking about yeast. Yes, indeed, yeast. Verse 1 begins like this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Sound familiar to you? Last episode, we talked about our lives being on repeat. Jesus, unfortunately, had to deal with the same dysfunction again and again and again and again. If you're experiencing dumb questions on repeat by your loved ones or those around you, Be of good cheer. Jesus knows how to handle it. He got it often. They asked him again for a sign from heaven. Now, he had been asked for a sign just a while back, a chapter or two back. And let's see how he replies this time. Jesus replies in verse 2, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. Maybe you've heard uh, red sky at night, sailors delight, or red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Kind of a fun little ancient proverb. Jesus references it as a part of their culture of the time. And then he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus clearly had been doing signs. So many signs. He literally had just had bread multiplied to feed 4,000 plus people. His lifestyle was not void of signs. But their ears and eyes were void of receptivity to his signs. Have you ever talked to someone that's unwilling to turn to the Lord, to receive his grace, confess their sins, and they say again and again, if only God would prove that he exists, if only he would come through. Maybe you're like me and you've experienced that so many times where you're seated in a place of doubt and resistance saying, God, just prove yourself. And Jesus looks at you with those beautiful eyes and reminds you with his love of all the signs that he's given. Jesus is so gracious. He says that signs are happening. He says, Pharisees, consider that thought. If there is a sign of a red sky at night, you know that it's good sailing. If it's a red sky in the morning, you know that that's a sign that it's bad. He's pointing them to signs that they're paying attention to. 
signs that are consistent in nature. And in that, Jesus is pointing them to the fact that they're able to interpret that in the natural, but they are missing all these signs of the times. What time is it? It's the time that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It's the time where the Messiah had showed up and was being prepared to be the sacrifice for our sins. And they were missing it. Verse 4, he says this, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. They kept looking for something to convince them that he was the Messiah. And in doing so, they were not receiving all the signs that were demonstrating as such. So he points them to one coming up, the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah, which he mentioned to the last group of Pharisees that had also asked for a sign, is the sign of Jesus descending for three days and three nights into the belly of the earth in the same way that Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Jonah dies and goes down to Sheol because of his own rebellion and own unwillingness to preach God's word and to help save Nineveh. Jesus goes down and dies and descends into death because of mine and your and our disobedience to God's word and our unwillingness to go out and preach it. The sign of Jonah is what he tells them to look for. Jonah was resurrected. He called out from Sheol, Lord, have mercy. And God raised him up and had the fish spit him out. And when he preached, an entire city repented and was saved from destruction. When this Jesus will be resurrected, not he so much, but his followers will go and preach repentance to endless cities and countless, countless cities for the next 2,000 years have turned and repented and avoided the judgment to come. That's the sign he's pointing towards, and that's the sign he's inviting them to be aware of. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Don't you understand, or do you not still not or do you still not understand? A few things that I want to highlight here. As they're crossing the lake, Jesus, like always, is looking to share his father's wisdom. And he says, be on your guard, be defensive, be vigilant against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Unfortunately, the disciples still, after having walked with Jesus, had a tendency to think with natural mindedness and to not understand what the Spirit of God was speaking to through Jesus as he gave examples or parables. They missed it. 
they were prone to think naturally. The second thing is they were prone to think self-centeredly or with an orphan mentality. Instead of just asking Jesus to clarify, they go to the side and talk among themselves. Oh, no, we didn't bring bread. Oh, Peter, wasn't that your job? Oh, no, Judas, that was your job. And they begin to take the problem into their own fellowship and their own discussion. Oh, beloved of God, be aware in your own heart of the tendency to think naturally minded, to think without God's presence and life being a part of the conversation, and be aware of the human tendency to go and to begin to talk to all your friends, your family, and people around you about what Jesus is saying rather than going to him about what he's actually saying. Jesus, so gracious, was aware of this discussion that was happening apart from them, though it was about him. And he says, you of little faith. I love that Jesus didn't mince words. For some of us that have grown up with a heightened experience in the word of faith stream, where there's a very strong emphasis on what we say, someone could look at Jesus's speech and say, Jesus, you're really speaking death over your disciples. You're saying you of little faith. Shouldn't you be speaking good things about them? What's interesting about faith, faith doesn't come from saying good niceties. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's not us trying to say nice things about ourselves or other people that help us grow. It's receiving what God's actually saying. The truth of the matter was that they had little faith. And Jesus, in his infinite grace, wanted them to know how small their faith was so that they would be motivated to see it grow. You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Second half of verse 9, don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? The answer to that rhetorical question was 12. They gathered 12 baskets, 12 representing God's kingdom, God's governance. He continues, verse 10, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? And with that rhetorical question, Jesus doesn't remind them of how many baskets, but the first miracle had 12 baskets gathered. The second one had seven. A picture of God's perfect kingdom as 12, his divine order and governance coming through Jesus, and seven, his divine perfection and holiness coming through Jesus. Verse 11, how is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? You're just thinking Jesus' mind, thinking, disciples, even if I was talking to you about bread, I could manifest those baskets here and now. That's not what I'm about. There's something deeper my heart is after. And he says it again, like God does to you and me when we forget, when we're off kilter and not remembering or not listening. He says it again, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't you love those moments when you finally understand? I'm so glad, and I encourage you to allow that gladness and that gratitude towards God to well up in your heart. 
Because Jesus is constantly speaking things again and again and again, like he did here, repeating the same lines and the same phrases until we understand. He's the best of teachers. And he's mixing the yeast of his teachings into the bread of your heart, that your heart would rise in faith and love and maturity. It's that same teacher that warns against others' teachings. The nature of the ministry of teaching or the work of teaching is like yeast. The demonic realms are constantly wanting to have their hands on the education or the teaching ministry over a person, a home, or a community. That's why we see such a battle specifically over the education of our nation. The enemy comes in and introduces a thought of the division of church and state. What does that do? It basically takes away the believer and the church's ability to distribute the yeast of Christ's teaching to cause the society to rise into God's best, and it makes a way for the state to release the yeast of its teaching, whatever that yeast nature might be. In one of the other Gospels, we see Jesus telling them a similar line, but he says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees or the religious leaders and the yeast of Herod. I want to break this down because it speaks somewhat into this text here. The yeast of Herod are the teachings that exalt man. It's humanism. It's what the United States of America and many nations are all about. It's where we are the centerpiece of it all, and every part of instruction is unto the betterment of us, with us being the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. This teaching is very dangerous. It exalts man, and in so doing, destroys man, because we have no light, we have no vision, we have no God and no hope. The teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees is equally dangerous. The yeast of Herod is humanism, where man is God. The yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees is a teaching that God is the center, but it is a distant, cold God. As we don't understand God's heart as a father, as a friend, as a master, as a judge, yes, but the full comprehensive view of his heart of love, that yeast comes in and it causes the dough of our heart, the bread of our heart, to rise into puffed upness, into pride and insecurity, fear and judgment. And Jesus says, be on your guard against this yeast. Don't let it in for it'll spread through all of you. As we conclude, may you be encouraged to receive Christ's ministry of freedom. The prayer prompt today is, Jesus, what is one religious teaching you want to remove from me? As he sweeps the yeast of your house clean, may you also receive the kingdom yeast that he wants to put inside of you. He wants to be that influencer of every part of you. Thanks for joining with us today. May God continue to reveal to you by his spirit who indeed is this Jesus.